Awesome. Well, hey, it is so good to be with you. My name is Josh Hawk, and uh, I am from Jacksonville, Florida. I work uh, for an organization called Awakening, and uh, we have Awakening TV, we have Awakening Press, we have Awakening Records, we have Awakening Streams of Wholeness, which is what I am the executive director of, and uh, that was a, a little bit of our one of my, my TV show called The Road to Wholeness, and if you're like, hey, I, I would love to have an option for like just great Christian programming that is actually like good and not cheesy, um, <laughs> then we would love to be able to, for you to just log on. You can go to uh, awakeningtv.com. You can watch this show. You can watch a ton of shows. They got great children's content too. If you're a family in here looking for some great content for your for your kid as well. And um, yeah, it's just a new Christian streaming service that we have. Um, so I wanted to tell you guys about that and then all the other stuff that we have going on there as well. But, but part of the reason why I'm the director of Streams of Wholeness, and I have a a, a TV show called The Road to Wholeness is because God took me on my own journey to wholeness, to a lifestyle of wholeness. Lifestyle means choice. Wholeness means unbroken and undamaged. And so what I get to do is the privilege of coming alongside and coaching so many people, um, leaders and, and entrepreneurs and really anybody um, that comes to our retreats, that's part of our coaching program, that's on our show, all these things, to teach them going, how are you making choices that are not going to lead to brokenness and damage in your life or the life of others? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And it's an amazing thing because that's what happened to me. Uh, the last time I was here, I was pastoring a church in Nashville, Tennessee. My, my wife and I, we had started that church, and we had poured our blood, sweat, and tears in it for five years. But I started looking in the mirror one day, and I said, is what I'm doing creating the most whole version of Josh and Ashley and Landry and Brooks and Mabry, my family? And the Lord said, no. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And he said, well, you know, you'd always told me that if what you're doing is not going to create the most whole version of yourself, then you would quit. And there's a lot of pastors that say that if their families aren't healthy, that they'll quit ministry. And then there's other pastors that actually do it. <laughs> and I have a buddy of mine who he says he quits something every Thursday, you know, so... So that's pretty cool. So, what, so maybe you should just quit something every Thursday. Maybe it's something like you need to quit smoking, and you can do that this Thursday. Or you need to quit your negative attitude. You can do that this Thursday. You, you need to quit, you know, uh, swearing or cussing or whatever it is, you know. You can quit that this Thursday. And so for me, I decided I needed to quit being a pastor of my church. And I'm going to hand this over to somebody that I know would love it. And, you know, almost 80% of every single person that attended my church in Nashville is still there. And they're loving it. And God is still moving without me. Imagine that. <laughs> and, 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 and now my wife is, like, being fulfilled in ways that, that, that she was never fulfilled when we were living in Nashville. And so am I. And, and, and all these amazing things have happened. But it's because I got to the point in my life where I decided I'm going to go all in in surrender. To the Lord. When I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, I didn't even have a job title. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I had some friends that were working down there at a great church called Celebration, and they're like, hey, won't you just come down here? We'll give you a three-month sabbatical because you've been pouring your heart into church planning for the last five years. We'll give you a three-month sabbatical. We'll pay your salary, and we'll pay your wife's salary for three months. Come on, that's a generous church. And we're just going to love on you, and then we'll figure it out. How many of you were like, yeah, I'm in. Let me move to Florida, knowing that. Some of you were like, you said Florida. I'm in. <laughs> but but it, was, it was like crazy what I had to do. And, 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 and I had to go all in, and I had to surrender my life to the Lord. 
Now, have anybody, you've been in a pool, I'm going to assume, or you've been living under a rock for the last 30 years of your life, right? But maybe you've been in a pool, and what do you have to do to float in a pool? You have to totally surrender, right? You have to totally lean back on the water in order to float. You can't be fighting it. You can't be kicking and then floating at the same time. You know, I, I've got a friend who says that you, you can't be strategizing and surrendering at the same time. It doesn't go together. If you're still sitting there strategizing, then you're not fully surrendered. And in my life, I had to get to that place where I'm like, I've got to trust that God has wholeness for me. And it is available in the here and now. He has a wholeness for my family. And it is available in the here and now. And that's what I've got to be about. Not about me building my own legacy, my own church, my own this, my own that. Some of us, we're building our own folklores around our life and we don't even realize it. And we're putting God on it and we're saying, this is the Lord's. And in reality, it's you. And there was some truth to that in my own life with even what I was doing with my church plant. And, and, and so now um, I'm teaching about wholeness and I'm coaching people on wholeness and, and what it looks like to go after a lifestyle of wholeness. And I have a coach myself and I was on the phone with my coach because I believe that every coach needs a coach. I'm like, if Roger Federer, who's the greatest, was the greatest split tennis player in the world, he, him and I, I call him my sweetest twin because he is 39 uh, on the same day in the same year that I was born. And he's 39. He's getting ready to turn 40 on August 8th. And I'm getting ready to turn 40 in August 8th. And so I have to say was, unfortunately, because he's getting old. And I'm not trying to admit that, but we are. Um, but he, did you know that the greatest tennis player on the face of the earth has a coach? So I'm like, I need a coach, right? You probably need a coach, too. If he needs a coach, I mean, he's... He, He's Roger Fredder. Come on. And he's got a coach? Like, it's crazy. But I was talking to my coach, and, 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 and this guy's like, well, well, Josh, what do you want to do in the next two years of your life? Like, where do you see it? Like, what's your life plan? And I just started laughing. <laughs> I was like, well, it's kind of crazy because nothing that I'm doing currently in my life would I've ever had on a life plan two years ago. Like, nothing. There's not one thing that I'm doing. If you were to ask me to say, hey, Josh, I'm going to have a TV show and podcast and like all this other stuff, and you're not going to be preaching every Sunday, and you're not going to be pastoring. You're going to be going around and, and, and teaching and coaching and doing all this stuff. I'd be like, you're crazy. That's not, that's, not my, that's not my life plan. But what I've discovered is something that's the most beautiful thing in the world, and it's union with God. And union with God is the life plan. If you know me at all, which some of you are like, I just met you, so I don't know you, so why are you even saying that? <laughs> but if you know me, then you know that I live in John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17, Romans 8, Ephesians 1. I love the rest of the Bible. I think the, the rest of the Bible is amazing. But I live in those passages. Again, John 15, John 16, John 17, um, Romans 8, and Ephesians 1. John 15 is all about abiding in the vine. Some of you came in here this morning and you're like, I want to know what my destiny is. My destiny is this. My destiny is to be a lawyer. My destiny is to be a doctor. My destiny is to be a mama. My destiny is to be uh, the, the greatest go-kart racer on Nintendo 64 that I ever had could be in the whole entire world. Whatever it is. You know, like, this is my destiny. And you know what? I want to tell you what your destiny is. Are you ready? 
Here it is. John 15, abiding in God, union with the Lord. That is what you were created for. That is what I was created for. Nothing more. Because everything that comes out of union with the Lord is, is, is just a, everything that comes out of union is a byproduct of union. Do you see that? So what, what I'm trying to say is in my life, what I've discovered and I'm sorry, I preached really hard the first uh, service, so if I'm little, you know, whatever, then just go with me, okay? <laughs> but, um, but what I've discovered is that everything in my life flows out of union. So what that means is I've decided to not be a person that produces, 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 produces. I've decided I'm going to be a person that participates, 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 participates with God. And out of my participation, then comes my production. But see, we've got it backwards in America for the most of us. Most of us are like, well, we got to produce, produce, produce. We got to get the house. We got to get the boat. We got to build a church. We got to get the seats full in the church. We got to give. We got to tithe. We got we to serve. We got to do this and this and this and this. And maybe the church would be better off if we're like, no, let's just go all in in union in John 15 when it says abiding in the vine over and over and over and over and over and over. And I'm going to teach you today from John 17 where the primary theme of the passage is union and out of union comes our production not the other way around see it was amazing to me because I knew that I was growing in the Lord when I got to this point in my life when at 2 p.m. on a Saturday I was at home my kids were swimming in the pool my wife is out there watching them and I'm just laying on the couch literally doing nothing like nothing nada like, I'm not doing anything. I'm laying on the couch with my golden doodle Crosby. That's it. I'm not witnessing to anybody. I'm not writing a sermon. I, I, I'm not trying to go out and make an outline for a show. I'm not writing an email. I'm not doing anything. And you know what God said? He said, you're living in your destiny. Right now, right here, you're living in your destiny. Because you are living in union with me. And then the next week, I was in our building in downtown Jacksonville. And I was calling people, getting them to come to our retreats. I was writing some curriculum for some of our retreats. I was coaching some people on the phone uh, on what it means to have a lifestyle of wholeness in their life. And God said, you're living in your destiny. Because everything that you're doing is flowing out of participation. Everything you're doing is flowing out of union. Union is what it's all about. We see that in John chapter 17. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn there. I'm going to try to get through all this today. We'll see. Just wherever the Holy Spirit leads us. Come on. Starting in verse 1, it says, Father, the time has come. Unveil the glorious splendor of your Son. Now, I want you to, to notice what Jesus first prays here. He says, Father, this is very, very important because what was God doing before he created anything? Before he was ever a ruler, before he was ever, you know, um, building a kingdom, before he had ever made a tree, before he had ever made angels, before he had made anything else, what was he doing? He was a father, first and foremost. 
He was a father to the eternal son, Jesus. See, Jesus has always, he's always had to be around. He could not be created by God. Because if he was created by God, then guess what? That means that God is needy. Because God's like, oh, I need a son all of a sudden. Right? I need something to love all of a sudden. So I'm going to create Jesus. No. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been there from the very beginning of time in this circle dance. It's a theological term that I'm going to teach you today called perichoresis, perichoresis, and it means the circle dance of the Trinity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit that has always been from the very beginning. So what was God doing at the very beginning? Living in fellowship, in a circle dance, in a perfect union of love, and out of that love, you and I came to be, and everything that was made came to be. That's why in John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was always with God from the very beginning, and nothing was made, that, that nothing has been made or ever will be made that was not made from Jesus, from the Word. It's amazing. And so when we think about God, we have to think about Him first and foremost as Father, not Ruler. See, a lot of us in the West, we think of God and we think omnipresent. We think omni-holy. We think omni-this. We think omni-that. We think omni-omni-omni-omni. And he is omni, but he is first and foremost a loving father that is very active and involved in our lives and wants us to live in this fellowship that we're going to see that Jesus teaches us. So, Father, the time has come. Unveil the glorious splendor of your Son. In Romans, it says that literally the trees and the rocks and the water are all crying out for the sons and daughters of God to be unveiled. And so Jesus is praying that this, I think, for not only himself, but for you and I here too. I love personalizing this passage. I love praying, God, Father, the time has come. Unveil the glorious splendor of your son, Josh Hawk. Some of you are going to get really offended when I say this. You're going to be like, get him off that stage right now. But you know what I believe? I believe that I'm the son of God. And you're like, wait, what? I'm not saying I'm Jesus. But what I am saying is I know who my daddy is. See, I had three kids, Landry, Brooks, and Mabry. And they would have no problem ever saying, I am the son of Josh Hawk. Right? They would have no problem saying, I know who my daddy is. And I am the son of blank, blank, blank. If you have children, then I hope that they would say the same thing about you. So why in the world do we have a problem saying, I am the son of God? And you say, well, I'm a son of, I am a son of God. No, personalize it. It's okay. It is okay for you to do that. That's what he believes about you. He is like, yeah, you're my son. You're my daughter, right? I made you. I created you. I knew you before your mama who gave you a name ever did, the Bible says. So you are a son, and you need to be able to say that. You need to be able to say, I know my daddy, and be confident in that. And so you could pray, God, unveil the glorious splendor of your son. Unveil the glorious splendor of your daughter so that I will magnify your glory. That's something I pray on a daily basis. I try to go, unveil the glory of your son, of you, 
of me in Christ. If you read any of Paul over and 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 over again, he says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's not unveil the glory of your son, Josh Hawk, to the whole entire world so they can see how awesome I am. No, it's like unveil the glory that Romans 8 is talking about that says that when the sons and daughters of God know how beloved they are and they know their identity, then the rocks and trees are crying out. And I believe that, that when I walk on the earth knowing in who I really am, that the rocks and the trees and the, and the water and the lakes and everything rise up a little bit on their tippy toes and they go that's a son who gets it that's a daughter who gets it and I believe humanity around me would begin to get that if I could really know who I am and why I'm really here and I think that we've missed a lot of this in the west in our churches we've missed a lot of this because we've taught that 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 that, that, that salvation is just like okay you get saved you sign the contract, and then you get to go to heaven one day. Well, that's awesome. But it's just a very little sliver of what the gospel actually is. It's a very little sliver. Because here's the problem with that type of theology. Here's the problem with that type of belief. Here's the problem. If that's my belief, that I've just signed the contract, well, now I'm good. I'm just going to wait to die so I can go to heaven and live fully in heaven. Then you know what saves you? Death, not Jesus. Death saves you, not Jesus. But this is not what Jesus actually teaches in John 17. Jesus teaches us that, that when we come to know him, we're going to enter back in to the fellowship of perichoresis into the fellowship of the circle dance we're actually going to be entering into that into that life into that love into that righteousness into that holiness into that purity into everything that the fellowship has because we are in Christ Jesus now then we are invited fully back into that circle dance that we were made for from the very beginning of time that we came from in the very beginning of time and that's what we are about and that's what the gospel really is. He says, you have already given me authority over all people so that I may give the gift of eternal life to those that you have given to me. And you're like, ooh, eternal life, that sounds great, right? So eternal life is just going to heaven and being with Jesus. No. <laughs> Listen to what eternal life is. Verse 3. Eternal life means, you want to know what eternal life really is? It means to know and experience you as the only true God. And to know and experience Jesus Christ in whom you have sent. And guess where you do that? Not just in heaven. To know and experience God and to know and experience Jesus in the here and now. So eternal life is beginning now. Eternal life is already here. The kingdom of God is a hand, Jesus said. Eternal life is already here. It's right now. And so do you want to know eternal life? Like, I think everybody on the face of the planet is like, yes, give me eternal life. That's what I want. Well, then know Jesus. Experience Jesus. See, I, I want to know Jesus. I don't want just to know about Jesus. I want to experience God. I want to experience the Holy Spirit. 
That's why I've got to believe in this union. That's why I've got to come and fellowship in this circle dance and not just attend church and tithe and give, ten, or give 10% of my money and show up and do all this other stuff. No, 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 no. I want to know and experience God because the true discipleship of the church is what you're thinking on a couch on, on Saturday at 2 p.m. when you're doing nothing. What's going on inside your head? Are you filled with depression? Are you filled with anxiety? Or are you filled with the circle dance? Because how you come into this place doesn't matter. Who you are on a Saturday at 2 p.m. on your couch with your golden doodle, what's going on in your head then, that's who you really are. That's how you really know if the church is effective or not. Not by how many people are coming in here. Not by how many people are giving. Not by how many people are sitting in a seat. Not by how many people are in the parking lot. Not by how many people went out into the community and served. But who you are at 2 p.m. on a Saturday. That's how you really know if the church and the gospel has really affected your life or not. And you're living in union with him. And this is what we are made for, is eternal life in the here and now. To know and experience Jesus Christ, the Son in whom you have sent. Verse 5. So my Father, restore me back to the glory that we shared together when we were face to face before the universe was created. So see, that's that theology right there that says that Jesus is proving that who he is, that who God was before he made anything else, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, were face to face in this circle dance, living in union. And this is amazing. Restore me back to that glory that we shared when we were face to face before the universe was created. Go down to verse 6. Father, I've manifested who you really are. I love that he says that. I've manifested who you really are. Because what I love about Jesus is Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the trump card, guys. No matter what the issue is, no matter what Paul says, no matter what Job says, no matter what Moses says, no matter what anybody else says, Jesus is the trump card. Jesus is perfect theology. Doesn't mean that I don't like the Old Testament. Doesn't mean I don't like Paul. Doesn't mean I don't believe the Bible. Doesn't mean I don't do that. But when it comes to anything else, Jesus is perfect theology. So where do I go? Because this is why he's perfect theology. Okay? Because he comes and he tells the Pharisees, he says, you have heard it said, but I say this. Now, do you want to know why Jewish rabbis, so many of them, said, we can't ever believe that because only God can say that. Only God can say, you have heard it said, but I say this, right? And so what's he saying? He's saying that you've got it wrong about who I really am. This is who I really am. This is what I'm really about. This is what I'm doing. And so he, Jesus himself, plays the trump card right there amidst all of the people that knew the scriptures the best, Right? I have manifested who you really are, and I've revealed you to the men and women that you gave me. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have fastened your word firmly to their hearts. Now, this is interesting right there. When we see the, 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 this verse, they fastened your word to their heart, Jesus is not talking about the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament then, okay? So, so it's not talking about Old Testament scriptures either. They didn't fasten scripture to their heart. They fastened Jesus to their heart. 
Because he is the eternal word from the very beginning of time. There was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was created. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? From the very beginning of time. The disciples fastened Jesus to their heart. See, this is why this is so important. I love scripture. Scripture is amazing. I, I study scripture all, you know, all the time. I love it. I love the whole Bible, okay? But guess what? There are professors all over the planet that don't know Jesus and know a lot about the word. So just reading the Bible doesn't make you holy. Just reading the Bible doesn't mean that you know Jesus and that you fasten the word to, 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 to your heart. You can memorize all the scripture you want, but you have to fasten Jesus to your heart. Fasten Jesus to your heart. They have fastened your word firmly to their hearts. And now at last they know that everything I have is a gift from you. And the very words you gave me to speak, I have passed on to them. They have received your words and carry them in their hearts. They are convinced that I have come from your presence. And they have fully believed that you have sent me to represent you. I love that. They were convinced and they fully believed. Are you really convinced in who Jesus is? Do you fully believe in who Jesus really is? Are you convinced? Because see, this is what we're looking for in this world. So many of us, we're looking for attachment for our souls. We're looking to attach to something. And so many of us, we have our attachments in our job. So many of us, we have our attachments in our spouse. So many of us, we have our attachments in our children. So many of us, we have our attachments in all of these things. And, and if we're not fully convinced and fully believe that Jesus is who he says he is, he can do what he says he can do, and if we're not fully convinced that we were created for union, and we are not fully convinced that we were created to be attached to Jesus, then everything else that we're attaching ourselves to will fail us. And I love this, that he says they were fully convinced that I have come from your presence. They fully believe that you sent me to represent you. So that means that there was a group of people on the face of the planet that was totally all in to who Jesus really was. Totally attached. Because when you're totally attached to Jesus, it's very hard to be attached to depression. When you're fully attached to Jesus, it's very hard to be attached to anxiety and all of these other things that come with that. May we be fully convinced and fully believe that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. So with deep love, I pray for my disciples. Then go to verse 13. But now I'm returning to you. So Father, I pray that they will experience and enter in to my joyous delight. Now, I want you to stop there for just a minute. Do you see that? Jesus right there prayed for union for you and I. He prayed for union, that we would enter into their joyous delight, the same delight that was in the Father, the same delight that was in the Son, the same delight that was in the Holy Spirit, this circle dance that he's inviting us into. He's like, I want them to enter into that joyous delight. That's absolutely incredible. Enter into my joyous delight in you, so that it is fulfilled in them and overflows. 
Not only does he want us to be entering into that joyous delight, but he wants that to then overflow. He wants that circle dance to produce so much love, to produce so much patience, to produce so much grace, to produce all the fruits of the Spirit that it literally overflows in our lives. This is what union is. Then in verse 17, it says, Your word is truth. So make them holy by the truth. Again, it's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about Jesus. Your word is the truth. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and, and what I love about that passage when he says no one comes, the, the correct translation is actually no one comes face to face with the Father except through me. Not even next to Some translations say next to, but the correct translation there should be actually face to face. No one comes face to face with the Father. Here's what's so important about that. Because there's a big difference in you standing next to me versus you being face to face with me. Do you see that? Intimacy only happens face to face, not side by side. We were created to be so close. We were created to be so intimate with Jesus that we would literally, literally be face-to-face with him. See, the, 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 but the problem is that most of us have believed this theology that we've been separated from God. See, this, this is what most of us believe. Adam in the garden sinned, and he was separated from God. So God could never look upon Adam. So Adam's back did this. Then God's back did this. God's back turned from Adam too. And that's what a lot of us believe. And when we get that from this, this verse in Habakkuk that says God cannot look upon sin. Well, that's just not true. And the correct translation should probably actually be God cannot look favorably upon sin. Because here's why that's not true. Because if God can't look upon sin, then what was he doing in the garden looking for Adam and Eve after they sinned? How do you explain Enoch who then was taken up to heaven walking with God after the fall? How, how, how do you explain Jesus himself, who is God in flesh, walking on the planet, looking at all of us, what? Sinners. <laughs> looking at sin. Watching sin. The truth is, is that, that God has never turned his back away from you. The truth is that God was always looking for you. There's not one moment in time where God has ever not been looking for you. Where God has not ever been wanting his face to you. And that's why he sent Jesus ultimately so that he could restore the face-to-face union that we have always were created for. So he could restore the intimacy that we were always created for. See, this is a better gospel. This is a better gospel than just like, okay, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get saved, I'm going to sign the contract, and then I'm going to just, you know, um, attend church and get my money and all this stuff. No, 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 no. This is so much better when you go, wait, 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 wait. I was created for actual union with the Father? I was created for this circle dance? I was created to actually live in the middle of that? That is absolutely incredible. This is what the world has been waiting for. Not just come to church and be saved and then die and go to heaven. But no, no, no. Eternal life in the here and now. You can live in union with God. You can live in union with the Father. You can live in union with the Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever starting right now. Come on, somebody. 
This is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. So now let's go to verse 20. I love when it starts in verse 20. You know why? Because this is when Jesus is praying for you and Jesus is praying for me. Some of you are like, man, nobody ever prays for me. My dog don't pray for me. My wife don't pray for me. My grandpa don't pray for me. Nobody ever prays for me. Jesus prayed for you. In fact, it says that he's in heaven right now, intercessing for you right now. In fact, it says that there's a great cloud of witnesses that are all around him. Maybe John the Baptist is praying for you right now. You don't know. Maybe Elijah's praying for you right now. Maybe Job's praying for you right now. Maybe John the Apostle and Paul is praying for you right now. And that great cloud of witnesses. Jesus is actually praying for you, intercessing for you, and he prayed for you in Scripture. And so when you feel like nobody's ever prayed for you, you go to the Bible and you pick up John 17 and you read this. It says, and I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. And what does he pray for? He prays for union. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. He's praying that you would realize who you really are. He's praying that you would realize that you were created for the circle dance. He's praying that you would be joined together as one, even as him and the Father are one. All I'm going to do today is repeat the same thing that I've said in different ways five to ten times because I believe that repetitive learning is the best learning. My pastor has literally taught this basically for the last year and a half, and that's why it's so in me, and he teaches the same thing almost every single Sunday. And I love it because it changes my life. You know why? Because he realized one day it's pride that gets up in the way of him going, I got I to have a new word for my congregation every single Sunday. Maybe we should just be preaching the same word over and over and over until we actually start living it. And maybe we should come with a different mindset to church to be like, oh, I got to get something new out of this. I've already heard this. Now I'm going to go over here and listen to Stephen Furtick. Now I'm going to go over here and listen to this guy. Now I'm going to go over here and listen to this guy. No, no, no. And just be like, you know what? No, no, no. God, like, you want to do something on the face of the planet, and the face of the planet needs union, not more church services. The face of the planet needs what we were always created for, not just more sermons. We have the most technology of any society ever, and how does our world look? How does our world look? It's because we're missing this. It's because we're missing union. It's because we're missing what the gospel really is. Because we've preached half of it, but we haven't preached the other half. We've preached come and give your life to Jesus. And that's awesome. I love it. But it's only one part. And we've missed the fact that we can actually live in union with God. Here and now. It's so amazing. Jesus actually prayed that we would do this. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. What's the world need? They need a recognition of who their daddy really is. So they need sons and daughters to know who, God's sons and daughters to know who they really are. And when God's sons and daughters know who they really are, then that takes care of the world because the world will recognize who Jesus is through you and through me. 
for the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them so that they will be joined together as one. What? Guys, am I on some like LSD up here or something? You know, because this is like absolutely amazing if we actually read this. Like this should blow our minds. This should blow our minds. For the very glory you have given to me, I've given to them. Do you have the same glory of Jesus on your life? Do I? Jesus prayed for us to have this. Jesus prayed that we would have the same exact glory that he has. The same exact glory that him and the Father and the Holy Spirit share. That that would be on our lives. That will change the world. Come on. He prayed for that. That's such a better gospel. That's so much good news right there. There's so much hope in that. There's so much just expectation. Like I can't even put it into words how good that is. It's so amazing if we would believe that. What if we, I got an idea. What if we just actually believe what the Bible says about us? What if we actually believed what the Bible said that we could have? See, the problem is some people are like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You were a sinner saved by grace for a nanosecond. And then when you came in union with God, you were a son. You are a daughter. You are beloved. You are what they say in Isaiah 61. You are the term hespava, which means you are the one that in whom is his highest delight. And Isaiah 61 says that those that have a hespava spirit, which in whom is his highest delight, is actually what God said about Jesus when he was baptized. Not, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's a bad translation. The most accurate translation is, this is my son in whom is my highest delight. There's a big difference in pleased and delight, isn't there? There's a big difference in that. But it goes back to Isaiah 61. He's just foreshadowing. It's just another prophecy coming true right there. And guess what happens? When you get a Hespavah spirit, meaning that you know who you are and you have a beloved identity and you know that you're a son, you know that God looks at you and says, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my boy, that's my girl right there. Look how awesome she is. In her is my highest delight. In him is my highest delight. And you know that with assurance? Then it says you get Beulah which Beulah is peace. Beulah is like heaven. Beulah is like eternal life. But you can't get Beulah if you don't have the identity that Jesus has right here. Realizing who you are in Christ. Realizing that you are Hespava, in whom is my highest delight. That the very glory that God gave Jesus has been given to you so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them. Wow. Think about the fullness that Jesus must have had. It says that they say that John wrote this gospel about 50 years later than all the other gospels that were put out. About 50 years. And I I think that John was maybe sitting back and he was watching Mark and he was watching Luke and he's watching Matthew and he sees their gospel and then he he, he steps back and he's like, what did they miss? Because this prayer is only found in John. 
And he's like, and then what are the people that are going to be reading this gospel? What are they missing? I love when it goes back to 1 John. When 1 John, he writes about Jesus. He says, there's actually no darkness in Jesus whatsoever. Isn't that a pretty amazing saying? Like, who could you hang out with for three years and be like, there's no darkness in that person? There's nobody on the face of the planet that you can do that. But there's literally no darkness in Jesus. There's literally no darkness in the Father. And so we've got to stop saying that, that there's darkness in the Father. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what, what, what happens when you hear somebody that goes, oh, man, God gave me this cancer, and he's just going to use it for his glory. Or God brought this in my life. He's just going to use this for his glory. No, that's the darkness. That cancer is darkness. You need to call it darkness. Now, it doesn't mean that light doesn't come out of darkness, but that's not from the Father. You know why that's not from the Father? Because if that's from the Father, then you're a better father than God is. That makes you a better father than God. And I don't believe you're a better father than God. I really don't. And I don't believe I'm a better father than God. Because there's not one child that I have that I would ever look at and be like, I'm going to give you cancer so that I can get glory. I'm going to put you through this hell so that I can get glory. No, we live in a fallen world, guys. Where the effects of sin come in and it ruins things. And that's why cancer is there. And that's why all those things are there. And that's of the dark. Now, again, that doesn't mean that light cannot come from, because think about it. Where, where, you, you go into a dark room, you, you turn off the light, it makes it even darker, and then guess what? You light a match, what's winning? Light, automatically. So light can come from the darkness. And, and that's an amazing thing that happens, and we see that. We see God's light come out of the darkness. But we have to start, stop saying things like that. Because in the Father, in Jesus, is no darkness at all. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. He loves us perfectly. He loves you so, so very much. That's what Jesus goes on to say. He says, you live fully in me, and now I live fully in them, so that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me. For they will see that you love each one of them. This is the fathering parent, parenting of God. That they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. That should blow some of your minds right there. Jesus actually says that God loves you with the same passionate love that he has for his very own son, Jesus. The same. Like, not just, think about that. Not just a little. Like, like I think we all inherently know, well, God, yeah, God loves me. Right? Like, a lot of us, we all know that. We're like, yeah, well, God loves me. But, but you wouldn't say, God loves me with the same exact love that he loves Jesus. And that's our problem. That's our problem. I want my children to grow up in a church, to grow up in a, in, in, in a, in a spiritual community that knows their Abba Daddy loves them 
with the same passionate love that he loves Jesus. Because if they would know that, when bullies and all these other things come, it doesn't matter. They would know it. They would have assurance. They would have that full assurance. It's absolutely amazing. Then he says, Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you have given to me to be with me where I am. I love that. To be with me where I am. That means now, not later. A lot of us read that and go, okay, well, that means one, one day when we're in heaven. No, he's going, I want them to know that they can actually live in union, in fellowship, in perichoresis, in the circle dance of the Trinity, right now, right there, where they are in St. Louis, Missouri. They can live right there in the circle dance with me. They can live in union now. Be with me where I am. Then they will see my full glory, the very splendor you've placed upon me, because you have loved me even before the beginning of time. You are my righteous Father, but the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that I know you. And all those who believe in me also know that you have sent me. I have revealed to them who you are, and I will continue to make you even more real to them, so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. I love that Jesus says that. Stop there for just a moment. I know I've thrown a lot out at you, and I want you to wrestle with everything that I've said today. I think every single preacher you ever hear from, you should go home and you should wrestle with every single thing that they said. But here's where I decided in my life. If I stand in front of God one day, and he says, I've got one thing against you. You erred too much on my love. I'm going to be like, cool. Because you know what I've, I really think the wrath of God is? When I stand in front of a holy God one day, when I stand in front of my Abba. One of my friends, he knew someone that was just eaten up with cancer. And he's standing at the, the foot of her bed, and he goes, all I wanted to do was jump in her body and literally choke out every single cancer cell. I believe that God looks at you and he looks at me and he looks at our lives and he looks at our depression and he looks at our anxieties. He looks at all these things that we have and he goes, I want to choke out every single bit of that. That is my wrath until there's nothing in them that doesn't look like love. Until there's nothing in them that doesn't look like love's kind. And that's my prayer is that there would be nothing left in me it doesn't look like love's kind. And I believe because of union that that can be accomplished in the here and now, not just when I get to heaven. You know why I have to believe that, guys? Because if I don't believe that, then I don't believe this. And you don't either. I'm just telling you. Because it's all over the New Testament. It's all over John. It's all over Ephesians. It's all over Philippians. It's all over that place. If we don't believe that we can actually have this in the here and now, then we don't believe the full gospel. We believe some of it, but we don't believe the full of it. That they may experience the same endless love that you have for me in the here and now. For your love will live in them even as I live in them. I, his love will live in us. Oh, that's so good. That's such good news. 
One of my favorite theologians, and then I'll close with this as the band begins to come back up. I hope this has been helpful to you today. Because I believe it'll change your life. I really do, because it's changed mine. He says, the gospel is not the news that we can receive Jesus into our lives. You're like, wait, 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 what? The gospel is not the news that we can receive Jesus into our lives. The gospel is the news that Jesus has received us into his life, into his union. See, a lot of us grew up in a church where we say the gospel is news that we can receive Jesus. Receive Jesus and be saved. Receive Jesus and be saved. Receive Jesus and be saved. And that's a great message. Let me tell you, that's a great message. But it's not the whole message. Because a lot of us have stopped there. And what I believe is that Jesus wants to, 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 to take us further into the truth. That, that it's not just that the, the gospel is news that we can receive Jesus into our lives. The gospel is news that Jesus has received us into his life, into his union, into his circle dance, into the very circle dance of where all humanity and where trees come from. You want to know where baseball comes from? The fellowship. You want to know where a baby comes from? The fellowship. You want to know where your love for your daughter comes from? It doesn't come from you. It comes from the fellowship. You want to know where your love for your wife comes from? It doesn't come from you. It comes from the fellowship. You want to know where your love for music comes from? It doesn't come from you. It comes from the fellowship. It comes from union with God. Everything that is good about you and me, it doesn't come from us. It comes from a God who loves us so much that he would come down and give us our place back into the fellowship. That's why it says that the, the Bible says that he is rejoicing over you with dancing and singing. And that's what the fellowship is. We need to get into that circle. And then all of those spots, all of those blemishes in our lives, that's when we become whole. We need to let the circle dance of the Trinity dance around our souls like we never had before. That's what the world needs to see. It's not just a group of people going to church, but a group of people living in the very intention that God has had for us from the very beginning of time. Living in perfect union. Oh, that's such a better gospel than just what we have made it to be sometimes. So God, as your sons and daughters are standing in this room, they're sitting in this room right now, God, I pray for a revelation of union today. God, that's what you've called me to. Is to awaken people into the union that you have. Into the perichoresis, into the, the circle dance of the Trinity. Into the fellowship of the Trinity. Yes, you have called people to come to you and to know you. To give their lives, to surrender, to go all in. But not just to stop there. Not just to wait till one day when we get to heaven and then we can be whole. But that wholeness exists in the here and in the now in you. The wholeness exists on the good days and wholeness exists on the bad days because we are in Christ. We are in union. We are in the fellowship of the dance of the Trinity. 
And that is what heals us. That is what makes us whole. That is what goes into the very depths of our souls that we didn't think that we could overcome. That's what goes into suicidal thoughts. And that's what goes into anxiety. And that's what goes in, into, into the traumas of our life that someone was abused and someone was physically abused, someone was sexually abused, someone was whatever. And you don't think you can recover from that. You need to go and you need to sit in the Trinity. You need to know that you were created for the fellowship. That's what heals the divorce. That's what heals. And so right now, I just want everyone to stand. And I want you, the Holy Spirit's in this, in this place right now. He's, he's right here. He's right here. This is a holy moment. And I want you just to to put your hands out. Just put both hands out and surrender. And I want you just to imagine the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're holding hands right now. Whatever, whatever comes to mind in the circle, and I want you just to let the circle dance around you. And I know you say well, this is weird, but it's not weird. It's, it's, it's amazing. Just let him dance. Imagine it. And start feeling the love, the goodness, the peace. Let that dance sing over you. Let that go into the very area of your soul that you need healing from. And then just simply say, this is what I was born for. This is what I've been looking for. This is so much better than just church. I love the church. But when the church awakens to this, it becomes alive in a way that the world would then see the glory of God, see the sons and daughters of God. Come alive in a way that they never have. Oh God, I pray for that for myself. I pray for that for my family. I pray that for my wife. I pray that for all of these people right here in this room today, right now, that they would begin to enter into a circle dance. And that in that dance, that you would heal them of all their disease, of all their wounds, of all their traumas. That they would know that they were made for this and nothing else. And that that would be the eternal life that they have been looking for. And they have it here. And they have it now. Not just when they die. Death is not what saves us. You do. And you have come that they may have life. And life to the full in your circle dance. In the here. And in the now.